For more on the pandemic, we go to the irritable immunologist who joins us once again from the La Jolla Medical Research Complex, UC San Diego Medical Center. I should mention that the irritable immunologist is an expert. Welcome, sir. No, I, I I will not accept the charges, operator. I don't know anyone who's in the New Jersey facility for the criminally. Oh, wow! Hey, 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 David, that was that was really weird. That yeah. was really really weird. But yeah, hey, hey, how's it going, David? Everything everything going going good in New York City, right? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm in the epicenter. I'm in Manhattan. This is oof. I call it pandemic on the. On the Hudson. So, wow, that, uh, I'm sure some real estate developers will do some good work with that in about 20 years. Yes, yes. So about 367,000 people around the world have now been diagnosed with the coronavirus. The World Health Organization says it's accelerating. But we've gone five to six days in Wuhan without any new cases. Are you... Mm-hmm. Would you like to respond to that, the optimism about Wuhan? I mean, that's great. They had to to put in place very rapid, very stringent restrictions on essentially everybody who was in that region at that time and completely locked it down and not in a voluntary, I'm not going to leave my house unless I need to take a jog kind of a way, but more along the lines of, yeah, we're going to weld the door shut on your apartment building if you don't (laughs) stay in there. Which is which is a bit different situation. So that's good. Yes. Let, let me push back think... on that. Let me push back. Yeah, on yeah. That because we have a correspondent, an American correspondent in Beijing, Timothy Ulrich. He works with Global Chinese Television Network, and he. I said, remember him fondly. Yes. 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 And we should mention that you're the same guy. Yeah. 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 No, I'm. Uh, I'm trying to play both sides here. I'm. I'm both trying to reassure people that the number of people who've been killed by a transnational pandemic is is far less than would happen on an average flu season, and simultaneously covering all my bases by saying, no, that's totally insane. And you're Jackie <laughs> and the you Joke Man be... Martling, and you're also Jackie well, the Joke Man. right. This is... I, one... You know, I'm I'm really not getting paid enough to have three roles on the show now, David. Right. I, I okay. just thought I'd put that out there. By the way, just, Go ahead. just take a little, you know, in whitewater rafting, they talk about eddying. Phil Hendry, who everybody should download they should listen to phil Hendry. he does an entire radio call-in show where he does all the voices so but this Oof. isn't this isn't phil Hendry. if you want real entertainment listen to phil Hendry, who we have to have back on the show <laughs> okay so my correspondent in beijing tells us that it wasn't martial law in china that this is mm. okay and i say this is what i say and then you respond We have more prisoners per capita than any country on the planet, including China. We lock people up. We're Mm -hmm. we're just as much an authoritarian regime as China. If you go outside in Manhattan, it's locked down. The restaurants are shut. It's pretty much essential services. Yes, people are gathering in the park, and Governor Cuomo is yelling at us to stay indoors. But for the most part... The the lunatic commander in chief, Donald Trump, notwithstanding, we have the governor of Massachusetts. We have the governor of California. We have the governor of New York. 
locked down. I mean, we are locked down. So you don't think this is strict enough? It's not it's not the entire country. It's it's not enough. I mean, it yeah, we've got some of the biggest states, the coastal states. I think Inslee was probably first, then maybe Newsom, then Cuomo in terms of in terms of the when when they implemented these things, but these things need to be implemented nationwide. Right. I mean, we we need to finally belly up to the table and since it's us it's a big belly and realize hey we have this thing is out we have i believe you talked about it with dr boney on, on your last program and yes. good on you keep getting that guy on the show right. that guy is the best source of information on epidemics and how you should approach them that you could possibly find and i don't give a fuck who thomas friedman knows at yale leading him to write these cockamamie columns about, oh, hey, it, it might not have to be that bad. There might be. Yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever, right. buddy. Go back to sleep and start agitating for another war in the Middle East that will kill a million civilians. You know, right. stop telling people how to deal with a pandemic. Listen to Dr. Boney. Go to the CDC if you have specific technical questions. But, yeah, I'm not. Uh, can I tell you what I, Dr. I Boney, can I tell you what Dr. Boney said to me? And he said, feel free to sure. quote me. If you listen to my interview Friday with Dr. Macek Boney. He's an epidemiologist who writes on pandemics. At the very end of the interview, he says, David, are we recording? And, and I said, let me let me wrap it up because he thought the interview was over. So I said, thank you for doing the show. Stay on the line. And then he says, are we recording? I said, no, let me hit the, the pause button. And he said, feel free to quote me on this. But I'm just telling you what I'm looking at right now is yeah. the greatest generation redux that that this country, the American people, have been lulled to sleep and that yep. this is the moment when they they will have to deal with. Again, I uh, don't like saying this, but they are going to see loved ones who will perish from this virus this will be the yep. the watermark of their life go ahead go ahead no you go uh, ahead. well I, I was i was just going to say if i could pee off of that point that dr boney made and, and make this really brutally absolutely clear if you're 19 and you're saying to yourself oh i'm fine i'm going to be great I'm going to get out there. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to I'm going to take keg stands at a beach in Florida and, and hang out with a bunch of other people of similar ages because we're all going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to go home mm -hmm. and you're going to take it to your parents. You know who else you're going to take it to? You're going to take it to your little sister who's got asthma, who has a pre-existing respiratory disease. And you, you know who they're going to take it to? Whoever's around. And mm -hmm. this this really pisses me off. This makes me, I am irate. I'm no longer irritable. I'm irate at this point <laughs> with this level of behavior, particularly at the top. And that, God, that's an execrable excuse for a human being. But on this very topic, you're not going to just going to take it to your parents. Say you hate your parents. You're not just going to take it to your grandparents. Say you hate your grandparents. Sure, granted all that. Sure. Say you're glad to watch all of these people die in front of you from respiratory distress, choking on their own fucking phlegm. Say you're okay with that. Well, you know who else is going to get it? Little kids with cancer. Five-year-olds. Up until about a month ago, we had at least 
five major leads that I had just demonstrated in a wide variety of different myeloid leukemia cell lines that I had chosen for their specific mutations, their gender, and their ethnicity, we had at least five nice leads on compounds that will fuck up acute myeloid leukemia, just fuck it up where it stands. And you know what's not going to happen now to that? You know what's happening now? We're not researching that at this moment, David. No, we're putting everything to bed. I was taking all of those cells that I counter-screened. Show this, these compounds fuck up myeloid leukemia. You know what they don't do? They don't hurt normal cells very much. And this is the ideal case. I counter-screened against multiple different cell types of regular tissue. Didn't do a thing, statistically speaking. Throw them at three different super aggressive myeloid leukemia lines in culture. Those guys are dead dead in three days. So we have leads like this going. We have things that could help people. There is a ton of active well, research you, you make You make being an immunologist sound like a Liam Neeson movie. Like, you're, you're a super <laughs> superhero here. What, what's good? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm only one link in the chain. So in the, in the lab that I'm in, we're doing small molecule development, discovery, and in all the way through clinical. So we're going from a structural biochemist that I work with who designs these compounds based on the features of the biochemical, well, let's just say enzymes that we're trying to inhibit, that cancer or Zika virus or now COVID-19 causing virus, SARS-CoV-2. We, we we're designing these based on the best available knowledge. We're synthesizing them in-house because we've got super hot shots, synthetic organic chemists in here. Then they're handing them off to me. I'm putting them in solutions and throwing them at cells, trying to kill them, ideally, if they're cancer, or trying to make them survive if I'm also infecting them with a virus. Mm -hmm. uh, doing lots of really interesting stuff there. But what, once I've demonstrated this, which I've done for a number of compounds for both well, we have colon cancer, myeloid leukemia, possibly even pancreatic cancer, which is essentially untreatable. Right. No matter what age you fucking get it at. Glioblastoma? Maybe. We'll see. But once I'm done with them and, and I've proven to everyone's satisfaction that they're just nuking cancer cells in the case of cancer and not doing much to normal cells, then we have to go into an animal model. Then we're going to go into some mice. There's going to be some poor, unfortunate mice who are going to be sacrificed so we can save some kids with cancers, acid, ideally. Mm -hmm. And so all of this work, all of this work, and I'm, I'm in a building with seven floors of people doing things like that. I mean, I mean, there's a people down, right down on the same floor from me, have a $10 million grant to treat a rare disease that afflicts children that has no treatment. They have a patient in clinic right now with amazing results. Right now. You know what they're not going to do? Expand that. Because we're fucking locked down. We have to deal with this shit because the, the politicians and their friends and the people who were so very concerned about their stock values couldn't get their goddamn shit together and listen to the actual people who were telling them there's a red fucking light flashing. There's a red light. Shit, there was a red light flashing in China three years ago. A research group went to a cave, found some bats, swabbed them, pulled out a coronavirus and said, oh, shit, this looks a whole lot like SARS. This could probably infect the entirety of the human race. We need to pay more attention to that. Instead of doing that, well, we fucking cut those teams. We cut the fucking epidemiology training we were doing for Chinese, Chinese scientists and Indian scientists and Bangladeshi scientists and African scientists of many different countries. We cut all that. And you know what we've got? We've got a rampaging epidemic 
And if you if you look at the curve and even assuming we're testing everybody who's got it, which we definitely aren't, you talked to Dr. Boney about that, and that was a great conversation. Good on you for having him on again. That's because but of you. Don't. That's because of you. Well, and regardless of why, he's on now. Keep bringing him on. This is important shit. So you're, so you're saying don't yeah. listen to Jackie the Joke Man Martling when it comes to pandemics. Is that what you're saying? I mean, I, Let me write that I, down. I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, again, I, I haven't heard his entire... He knows so many jokes mm -hmm. that it's possible he knows a joke from 1917 that was super applicable and very helpful to people during the so-called Spanish flu pandemic that killed tens of millions of people in the 1917 and 1919 window. Okay, so, so let me ask you about your work and when you yeah. say you're being locked down, is that because your resources are being diverted to find a cure for COVID-19 or you're just locked down because everything is stopping? I mean, for, for me in particular, we're... Um, considered medically necessary our lab because we are do we are doing active research on ways to potentially block the entrance of SARS-CoV-2 into cells um which as I've talked about before involves the ACE2 receptor there's there's a lot of complexities involved there you don't want to directly inhibit the enzymatic activity of ACE2 because that's actually probably helpful for for lung and in heart inflammation um but no no I'm I'm just talking for the other six floors of medical scientists who are working on cures for rare diseases. So has cancers. that work stopped or slowed down? Dram dramatic halt, I would say. There's, Why? That people, Why? I mean, because it's not a central medical function. This is this is long-term research, right? So, so some of this stuff is miles away from a clinical setting. Some of the okay. stuff is basic research to figure out, hey, how does this pathogen function? What does it do in the body? To even to lay the groundwork to even begin to generate something like a like a small molecule or an antibody. Okay, drug. so are they switching gears? Are they and focusing on the coronavirus? Or I mean, no. There's I wouldn't say there's a good overriding executive action being put into place by the, the regents of the University of California or the other major biomedical facilities, I can say that a lot of uh, the genetics professors, the high-throughput screening folks, the microbiome folks, they're all on a Slack channel, and they're all trying to figure out if we can leverage any of the available equipment we have, uh, a fair amount of which is our real-time PCR or quantitative PCR machines, which are very similar to the type of machine you use to test patients in a clinical setting. Uh, there's, there's lots of impediments between testing patient samples in an academic research setting, but there's a ton of equipment. And so I've personally, and I, I believe other people have put together proposals to hey, say, Hey, you can, you can get all of these graduate students who are, who are basically just hovering around. Circulating, mm -hmm. just not you know, not going out. That's not what I mean. But they don't, they can't be on their projects. They can't be in. They can't be doing anything productive. But they have training that could be potentially beneficial. And so, what, what I've suggested, I believe other people have suggested, and, and hopefully we can get some motion on this, is to 
dramatically ramp up testing on the basis of real-time polymerase chain reaction tests. And if you can do the viral RNA extraction and or the cDNA synthesis in a clinical setting or in a laboratory setting where they have what's called BSL-3, biosafety level 3 containment, you can feed those cDNA, ideally, or RNA samples to thousands of labs across this state and many, many more across your state and other states that could provide some kind of information, even if you don't trust the data as much because it's not from clinically certified machines, it's not using clinically certified tests, and it's not run by clinically certified scientists, even then having data sets that are in some way reproducible would be really beneficial to county, city, and state health officials so that they can focus their efforts. They can focus the clinical laboratories on hotspots that they see that are being found by broad broad scale surveilling of the population and, and they can focus the actual medical personnel. So there's definitely people are people are trying to do things, but no, we don't have we don't have a mandate from anywhere at this point, as far as I can tell. All right. I got a, a call from a loved one. Yes, I have a couple who was freaking out and I said, turn CNN off, turn MSN. Good advice. I'm sorry? Good advice. Good advice there. Because they don't understand science, nor are they willing to report on science. All they know how to do is listen to Donald Trump run his press conference and create panic. We're unprepared. He's now talking about at the end of the 15 day quarantine that has been imposed by the brilliant Mike Pence. We will then try to restart businesses because he says the the cure can't be more deadly than than the the virus and some people are freaking out is donald trump really in charge and by that i mean we're in a states rights paradigm right now we're individual states we do obviously we need a president who can control the the commanding heights of this pandemic, but we don't have that. So we're depending on Andrew Cuomo. We're depending on yep. Gavin Newsom. Yep. Uh, do you see? That's a bad situation. That's a real bad situation. That is a bad situation. That is a bad situation. I mean, the, I mean, to, to, to just go back to your, you know, greatest generation metaphor there, and, you know, uh, many of your, your fabulous comedy bits, I think maybe with Michael Brooks or, or Sam Cedar, where, you know, you're talking about, oh, hey, we, we just sort of voluntarily, everybody voluntarily drafted themselves and went to war. They voluntarily pressed businesses into service. No, no, that's not what happened. You had almost a command and control state right. <laughs> in, right. the, in this country, which was necessary to do the industrial development necessary to build the tools required to win that war same deal goes right now we we need to be ramping up we need to be ramping up reagents we need to be ramping up prep kits we need to be ramping up test kits we need to be ramping up absolutely everything involved in ppe personal protective equipment as people are now people are now finally using that acronym in public because it's so important so yeah we we need a we need a major escalation in order to to get things done here, and the person in charge doesn't know squat about this. If I could say an additional word about this, because I mentioned it last time I was on, in, in dumbass, orange face, 
Anyway, that particular person goes on national television and mentions chloroquine, which I did. That's in, that those are in clinical studies. There are some preliminary results with this compound. Compound is incredibly toxic. There's a reason why it's on prescription. You could kill yourself with chloroquine. So if you're, you know, like, oh, Liam McEnany on a Tuesday night and you're wearing a ski mask and you're, you're trying to break into the back of a pharmacy to get the pills that you need because <laughs> you don't have real health care, don't fucking pick up chloroquine because that's going to fucking kill your ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's cardiotoxic. It has an incredibly tight, what we call therapeutic index. The difference between it as an effective therapy and it laying you out on the floor with major organ failure or death isn't a big difference. <laughs> right. Okay? So, right. yeah, the President of the United States saying shit like that on television when when the best data we have is from cell culture or some really perfunctory, not perfectly designed clinical trials experiments that are in the middle of an ongoing pandemic, the French one with in conjunction with azithromycin, being, being fairly famous on social media at this point. Again, this is not a super tight, standardized clinical trial. You had experimental groups in a different city from the control groups. You had 10 of the, of the 16 people who started out on the regimen that worked the best dropping out in the process. This isn't, these are not approved drugs for these conditions yet. We don't really know how well they work. There was some hotness about a particular a pair of drugs associated with, I believe those are protease inhibitors, with HIV treatment. Turns out, once the disease is really going, doesn't seem to work that well. Might benefit in some prophylactic fashion. Nobody can say so for sure at this point because nothing is approved. The only things that are approved for fighting coronavirus is, at the current moment, are, are vaccines in pigs or, you know, disinfecting equipment like they have on the epa list n which i believe i mentioned to you folks before like this is this is not something that we have a big arsenal for like we're doing projects screening natural products fda approved compounds just in the hope that we can find something that's in a family of molecules that might interact between the receptor, the spike protein, a surface, this is a trimer, there's three identical proteins that come together to form the spike on the outside of the coronavirus that disrupts its interaction between its cognate receptor, ACE2, angiotensin 20 enzyme 2, and that spike trimer. If we can get something in there that blocks infection, hey, that'd be ideal. This would be ideal. Nothing like that is currently approved. Nothing like that appears to be in the pipeline. The current drugs that are, you know, that the popular media and certainly social media, which isn't, isn't much better these days, uh, are propping up have not been approved for this. They have not been well studied for this. And many of them are going to be quite toxic. <laughs> yeah. So again, don't listen to the orange faced buffoon throwing feces on television every morning. Listen to Dr. M- Bodie. L- listen to actual people who know what the fuck they're talking about. Well, and that certainly isn't the president. Right. So uh, you, Boney, and where else? Wh- who else should we be listening to? I mean, I, I think he, Dr. Boney, gave a lot of links to different institutions that have good social media feeds going. I I would second that. I would second whatever that man says. You should probably listen to Okay. Um, so, so yeah, the- in, in, in terms of clinical advice, you go to the CDC. If 
if you don't, if you can't find what you're looking for on the CDC, go to the WHO. Well, they have big sections devoted to specifically this type of thing. Well, the Centers for Disease Control out of Atlanta is a United States organization. I would assume there are other. There's the World Health Organization, which is international. Yeah, WHO. Yeah. I, I would mm-hmm. assume that maybe France, Germany, Canada, Spain, Italy might know some things that we don't know. China? Is it possible China is on the forefront? Certainly. Yeah. No, they've had, they've, they had the first problem here. They, they have as long as anybody else. I mean, there's like information sharing in, in journals and, and even ad hoc channels between researchers is pretty good. And yeah, yeah, I, I know there's some clinicians in France who are saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to throw this combo, uh, Z-Pak and chloroquine and anybody who we think is going to die of this infection. And that's compassionate use. Totally legit. Uh, does that mean you should run out and knock over a pharmacy and, and get some pills? No, no, that's a terrible idea. That's a terrible idea. And that will probably drive drug resistance by the virus. And that's, a, that's another bit here. Anytime a, a talking tangerine stuffed with garbage <laughs> mentions a drug on national television that may or may not have an effect against this virus, that's a bad deal. Because, frankly, the more people who aren't clinicians who are taking the initiative to pick up these compounds and dose themselves with them, to, to biohack themselves, if you will, if, if you want to use some garbage Silicon Valley verbiage for it, you're going to drive drug resistance by this virus. So the people who need to be taking these off-label remedies are under immediate physician's care and are being given these compounds because they're probably going to die if they don't get them. So you might as well throw whatever you can at them because they're dead anyway. And you might be able to save their ass if you use these compounds. So, yeah, if if you're going out there and being like, oh, it's fine, I'm going to take 100 milligrams of chloroquine every couple of days. No, that's that's a terrible idea. And if you're using a sub, if you're using a dose that doesn't eradicate your infection, you can drive resistance by the, that very virus that you're trying to kill. This is a single-stranded positive sense RNA virus. It's a big one. It's got error correction capabilities, and one of its enzymes is how it holds itself together. But these suckers mutate faster than anything. HIV is an amateur. Influenza, pfft, nothing, nothing. Not compared to positive sense single strand RNA viruses, these suckers mutate faster than any pathogen that infects humans. The, the coronavirus, we, we are seeing evidence that the coronavirus is mutating. Yeah, yeah, certainly. There's, there's good epidemiological, basically they're sequencing the genome of viruses from different people in different places. And yeah, yeah, you do see these guys accruing mutations. And the problem is, is you're going to drive the direction that those mutations go if you start using in really broad ways compounds that inhibit them now, because you're going to be selecting for their, their descendants who have mutated in the right way to avoid your remedy that works maybe now. So d- don't do that. Don't okay. do that at all. But, so, but, yeah, there's, but, but there's, I don't there's want the headline. On. Hang on for one second. Cause you're, yeah. you know, you're brilliant and you have great performative attributes, which makes for a good guest on my show, but I don't want the headline to be that um, the that the virus is mutating. Because that's not So it it sure no, so it's 
happily as positive sent single-stranded RNA, Baltimore Group 4, uh, viruses go, coronaviruses are really big. And so they need to be able to correct errors that happen. So their mutation rate is a lot lower than a, a, a number of other viruses, typically much smaller viruses, like, like rhinoviruses. Um, that a rhinovirus would be in your nose. Yes, sir. Okay. Or maybe yours. I mean, I yep. wouldn't go pointing fingers. I mean, I don't know where that finger's been, Felton. Okay. So. All right. All right. So, Keep it to yourself. Okay. All right. Uh, Jeet here, who we've had on this show, brilliant writer, has a piece over at The Nation about therapeutic mm. nihilism. How is nihilism pronounced? Is it nihilism or nihilism? I, anyway. Uh, you'd go either way. I he, mean, Nietzsche's dead, so I don't, I don't think he'll be mad. Okay. And God, when Nietzsche died, God said, who's dead now? So... Uh, out of Austria, there uh, in the 1850s, there was this medical treatment called what they called therapeutic nihilism. And the idea is mm. first do no harm when there's an epidemic or an illness, stand back and let nature take its course. That mm. that nature is much more effective at ending diseases than the doctors are. And from that, according to Jeet here, you had uh, Hayek, who also is from Austria. He applied that to economics, that if you just leave, oh, good. leave the economy alone, it, sure. it'll heal itself. That's sure, who, yeah, no, all the, all the poor people will starve and then everything will be great. Yeah. No. I'm right. familiar with Hayek, yeah. Yeah, so it's therapeutic nihilism. According to Jeet here, we have people mm -hmm. like Steve Mnuchin and Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul, Donald Trump, who believe in therapeutic nihilism. That is, hands off and the economy will flourish. Get government restrictions off our back and the economy sure. will heal all by itself. And they apply that. That's what they're thinking, according to Jeet here. Mm with the virus, that if you try to cure the virus, fix the virus, you will end up making it worse. This is what people are going to be saying. Trump's followers are going to be saying things along the lines of the cure is going to end up being worse than the disease. They rewrote, you know, Republicans have ended up rewriting the New Deal and saying that was worse than the Great Depression, that that because FDR tried to fix the economy, he made it worse. There are a lot of people in the White House who believe let the pandemic run its course. Is there any... Sure, I, I bet there's a lot in there who believe that Jesus is going to come any day now and lift them up bodily and take them away from the, the screaming hordes who are, who are baying even now for their blood due to their own incompetence. Right. Yeah, I'm sure they believe a lot of garbage, David. <laughs> so Ugh. talk to me about the the pandemic. There, We're going to be hearing Alex Jones types who are saying sure. the medical community is making this worse. Well, I mean, Alex Jones would know, right? I mean, he wasn't he selling a colloidal silver toothpaste that he claimed would, would, would cure SARS and SARS... SARS-2 here that we're experiencing? Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you've really got to pay close attention to, to what these people say. I mean, they're going to 
sell you a toothpaste that'll turn your lips blue and, you know, maybe fry your kidney. I mean, why wouldn't you trust these people? They're, right. They know what's best for you. Right. And it definitely involves buying a bucket of dehydrated food for 80 bucks a pop, you know, yeah. and, and sitting in your bunker waiting for the, for the Lord to arrive. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I, I don't know what to say to your question, David, other than to sort of scream invective. And I, I don't know if it's really beneficial for your All audience. right. But before you go, before you go, and thank you for changing the direction of this show, because I did start interviewing epidemiologists after you lambasted me for. You did. And, and good on you. you yeah. You, you picked a, you picked a real good guy to talk to, too. He wasn't putting up with any of your like, Say I'm the mayor of that town in Jaws, and and say I just had my arm bitten off by an enormous <laughs> shark, and say I'm standing there waving my bleeding stump in the air trying to reassure everyone that everything's going to be just fine and they should take a dip. Yeah, no, that, that was a good conversation. Good on you. Yeah, I play the part of Larry Vaughn, Mayor Larry Vaughn from Jaws, who wants to open the beaches. <laughs> And course, unfortunately, uh, Donald Trump seems to uh, identify with Mayor Larry Vaughn. He wants to open the beaches. Well, I mean, that's, that's that's who this guy is, right? That's who these people are, right? Yeah. I mean, they're they're against bailouts until Jamie Dimon's, you know, five thousand watt grin goes down a millimeter and a half, and then they're waiting in line at the door of his bank to pour as much money down his throat as he could possibly handle. Yep. Whereas, yeah, Lloyd yeah, we've got hundreds of thousands of homeless people who are going to be, you're going to be cut down like fucking grass, a lot of these people, by this epidemic, unless they have some place to go where they can be remotely safe. A lot of these people are old. A lot of these people are fucking Vietnam veterans. Do not have it together psychologically because they went through the most obscene psychological trauma you could ever possibly imagine, and they're out on the street waiting to die. That's this country. So, yeah. Everybody who's not a complete piece of garbage really needs to come together right now <laughs> and actually do things themselves. And I'm, I'm glad you've been on this, on social distancing, staying at home unless you're absolutely essential, and, yeah, trying to remain sane amidst the, you know, the obvious insanity at the top. Okay, talk to me about the homeless before you go. I mean... At Newsom, who's the governor out here, to his credit, they had some thought about that. And so they they put together a, a big chunk of money and, and tried to reserve a whole ton of otherwise idling hotel rooms, right? Like, who's going to go on vacation into a hot spot of COVID-19? Who's going to go on any vacation at this point who's not a psychopath? Not many people. So we have a lot of capacity all over this state, and I'd imagine all over that state and all over most states of housing units that are unfilled, that you could put people in. You could put those people in there, and it would not be, just be better for them. Say you don't care about them. Say you're a stockbroker, and all you care about is the bottom line, important things in life, money. Say that's all you care about. Well, the faster you get these people off the street, the faster you get them away from each other and out of squalor and filth, the lower the number of people who are going to be easy targets for a rampaging, rip-roaring COVID-19 infection, and therefore the more room there's going to be for your sainted mother in the emergency room when she comes down. So, yeah, we, we've got to mobilize everything. We've got to pull out the stops. We need N95 masks, bad. We need personal protective equipment, bad. 
I mean, we've got, you know, I'm, I'm at a major research medical institution and we've got internal emails. I'm, I can't share them with you, but they're alarming. And as a lot of the, the reports and generally the more responsible press, which is typically not on television, of very similar things in hospitals. I know a large number of clinical people, clinical scientists, as well as nurses, people that I taught and hopefully remembered what I told them about washing their hands. Because if I go into the ER and I see one of the people I taught not washing their goddamn hands sufficiently, I'm going to yell at them and I don't care if I'm on a respirator. Right. So, yeah, we, we need we need literally all hands on deck. This this is what we should be spending our money on rather than voluntary wars of aggression that destabilize large chunks of the Eurasian landmass and or North African landmass and kill a million plus people. Right. That was that was a big fucking waste of time. All that money we blew invading Iraq, all that money we blew blowing up Libya and killing Gaddafi and turning that place into a failed state where they're selling slaves on the street. That was under Obama. It's an all Republican fault. The more all of this money we've blown on the military, all of this money on these science fiction weapons to use against no one. Well, you know, we could have been doing with it. We could have been building up extra, extra intubation equipment, extra PPE stockpiles, N95s for every medical personnel in the country. We could have done all of this and it would have been a lot less money. But we didn't because we don't care because we'd rather blow up people in foreign countries than take care of the person down the street here. And hopefully there will be some time here now that people are confined, non-essential people, non-essential people will be able to think to themselves, gee, I'm, you know, I'm a manager of a hedge fund. I've got three yachts and yet somehow, somehow I'm not essential to the society. I had always felt that I was very, very, very important. And my stock tips were really pressing news. Turns out the janitor who works for the subcontractor, who works for the subcontractor who's contracted to deal with my second catamaran yacht in Hawaii, that person is essential. Because they're cleaning up fucking potentially deadly infectious virus off the goddamn street, out of the hallway. Those people are essential. Not somebody writing a goddamn app. No, no, no. Not unless that app specifically helps tracking. Sorry. Sorry, people. Sorry, hedge fund managers. Sorry, software engineers. You're not essential to the society. In order for a society to operate, it has to look out for everyone all the time. And we've failed on that for years and years. You have Harvey J.K. on all the time. You can talk about that at length for days, I'm sure. We have failed so many people in the population. It turns out we've been doing it to enrich people who are not essential to the operation of our society. I I think that's something for people to digest, think about. Anyway, sorry about you, you that. You know what? You get know what? Get a little irate. No, no, no. You know what? Uh, you know, you know what uh, occurred to me while you were talking about this? That evolution is the conspiracy theory. This is evolution at work here, and and the weak are not the homeless people. The weak are the hedge fund managers. I mean, they're. It's, you know, that's, that's more of a social Darwinist thing than, than evolution proper. Once you start getting self-interested, sentient organisms in on evolution, then things start to get a little wonky. But yeah, yeah, you could, I suppose you could sort of make that comparison. Sure. 
Yeah. But I mean, and so, so if you're looking for if you're looking for exactly what you're saying. Yeah, if you're looking for a grand unifying theory, you're, if you're looking for puppet masters who are creating this virus and trying to control society, it's evolution. It's not somebody from Davos trying to pull this off to no. Right? No, and, and in fact, on this very specific point, there's been a bunch of half-assed, stupid, cockamamie, like, oh, somebody engineered this virus. No. No, they didn't. We know where this virus came from, or we have a really, really good idea. And it came from a virus that infects bats. Probably doesn't kill bats. They're probably just fine with this respiratory virus. But it came from bats. And the reason we got it is because... We have so much money and so many resources in the world that we could share none of them with the people who lived near the caves that those bats dwell in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, as a consequence, because they're poor, incredibly poor people, probably in China, possibly somewhere else, they had to sell whatever they could find on hand to the masters of the universe, the Wall Street folks, and right. their journalist friends, and, and the people who are in the middle, like Tom Friedman, who I believe married into a family of billionaires and right. is now pontificating for some reason, on the pages of the New York Times about, oh, hey, we shouldn't get so freaked out. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Not yet. There's fucking not. <laughs> we haven't even defined the scope of the tunnel yet. We don't have enough testing to do that. Right. So, yeah. 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 Sorry. I got, By the way, climate change, if you're looking for conspiracy theories, climate change yep. is a conspiracy. Yep. yep. That's an absolute conspiracy. By the way, the pro- before you go, the, the problem with people like Friedman and Bill Crystal, who's pontificating, is they are like Tom and Daisy Buchanan in The Great Gatsby. They create death, they create a mess, and then they get on their boat and go back to East Egg, and it never happened. Yep. That That's the yep. problem with these people. Yep. That Tom Friedman said we need heads on a stick to show the world America's boss, and if Iraq is that country... Sorry, your number's up. You're the one. And and so millions of people, millions of people have died because of the invasion yep. of Iraq. And Bill Crystal and and Thomas Friedman go, well, you know, that's the price of doing business. That's and that's how they look at this pandemic, unfortunately. Hey, you and, touched- you'd, and you'd expect them to just just for a quick side point, David, you'd expect them. To say that because they're not going to lose their job just right. like jim kramer on cnbc who was telling people to buy bear stearns minutes before they went bankrupt because it was such a good deal right. there is no absolutely no accountability the more powerful you are powerful you are in this country the less accountability there appears to be say that Particularly again if that's in- say that again say that again the more powerful you are in this country, the less accountability there appears to be for your actions. So the lowest fry cook at a McDonald's, the, the you know, the most poorly paid person in doing your landscaping out front of your palatial estate in the Hamptons, they have far more accountability. There's consequences if they fuck up their job. Tom Friedman? Trumpet and Bill Crystal, Trumpet optional wars of aggression in the Middle East over and over again, destabilizing whole countries, resulting in the deaths of millions. They've still got a column. They've still got a place to go. They're still going to show up on MSNBC because they're 
so intelligent, right? They're so on it, right? They're just such great successes that the American public should be forced to see and hear their stupid, horseshit, murderous, insane, sociopathic opinions about every given subject they have no expertise in. That's what we need. That's who we are. Right. But we don't have to do that anymore. We have an inflection point. We're in it. It's going to kill a lot of people. It's going to kill kids. It's going to kill a lot of old people. It's going to kill kids, too. Kids with cancer, for God's sake. So we're, we're, we are at a, we are at a point. We can make a decision as a society. Hey, do we want to put up with this crap anymore? Do we want to pretend? Do we want to go around pretending that there's some reasonable argument not to provide every person in the country, not just American citizens, everyone in the borders, access to at least basic health care? No, there's no good argument to make that, to make there. There never was. And now, now you can see why. <laughs> right. Anyway, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm in danger of falling off my high horse here. No, David. no, no, so, no, uh, no, no. I, I uh, want to tell my listeners that the irritable immunologist is a listener. He contacted me. He berated me for not having the proper guests on uh, the show. He really laid into me, and I took it like a man, and I apologized <laughs> to you. And, <laughs> I and, mean, there was a there was a fair bit of squealing, equivocation. No, I called you. And, no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, I you berated me. You're a listener. No, it's true. You're a customer. I, I view you as a customer. Fair. And Fair. and you wrote me a, a very convincing note, shaming me, yelling at me, and I read the email <laughs> and I contacted you, and uh, I took it. I took the beating because I deserved it. So, but, but because, you know, the boss kicks you, you go home, you got to kick the dog. You know about that? That That's that's what I've heard, yeah. 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 So let me just berate my listeners. This is a listener. How come you're not as good... (laughs) listener as the irritable immunologist i have to take it out on somebody right ouch yeah ouch they should be as good as no uh thank you 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 want to come back for friday's show sure man yeah I, uh yeah i'll be yeah i'll be working for sure trying to keep these trying to keep these negative 80 freezers from blowing up and keeping uh yeah the appropriate cells and culture going so we can hopefully get a beat on something. But yeah, man, give give me a ring. Before you go, before you go, I say this, I asked Ralph Nader this on the Ralph Nader radio hour, and maybe you'll have a more coherent uh, thought on this for Friday's show, but give my listeners marching orders. They are citizens. They, as you pointed out, have a lot of free time now to either Turn on MSNBC and panic or do something. Yeah. Give them marching orders. Fair concrete enough, well, concrete if, marching orders. All right. I, if you are living in a state that has not yet put in a self-isolation, uh, at least suggestion, you need to be contacting all of your legislators. You need to be contacting all of your legislators anyway if you've got the time and telling them, hey, we need a full court press. We need medical supplies. We need medical personnel. Anybody who can be trained to do basic tasks like nasal swabbing, maybe cops, maybe other people who are in, who are in sort of civil positions who could be pressed into service provided they have protective equipment. 
we need to have full court press to test, test, test everybody we can possibly test. None of this bullshit, you don't get tested if you're not about to die on a fucking ventilator in a hospital. No, 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 no. We have the resources. We even have the companies in this country able to do it. But what they will actually need is executives at the state level and mostly at the federal level to tell All right, hang on, hang on, I, hang on, hang on. I'm, it's Bert Ross. Hang on for one second. Bert, are you there? Yeah, you're on the air. Bert, you're on with the irritable immunologist. Hey, Bert. Okay. I'm on the air. With the the irritable. in the air. Okay, hang on for one second, Bert. Just hang on. Stay stay on the. Well, can I ask you a. We're we're recording, so just stay. stay, Just be. I know it's hard for you, Bert. This is Bert (laughs) Ross, the the mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey. It's not Herb. It's not Herb Ross. It's Bert Ross. I wish it were Herb Ross. I wish I, it. I, I think the virus. I think the virus may have hit you already. Okay, so you know the word Herb, in terms of bitter herbs, the H is silent. Oh, so it's herbs. Oh. Can Bert be silent like the H in bitter herbs? Just for one second. One mm. second. Mm. <laughs> irritable immunologist we're talking irritable immunologist we're talking to my childhood hero there are two people growing up who i worshipped ralph nader and bert ross <laughs> and that my father picked my heroes for me and they were ralph nader <laughs> and bert ross i'm being serious bert ross is an american hero and I've told his about once a year we tell his story, and I think it's important to tell his story because it's one of courage, and uh, the the only thing you have to fear is Donald Trump. So before we go, I'm going to wrap it up with the irritable immunologist, and then we'll talk to Bert Ross in a second. When you come back Friday, I want mm. I want concrete marching orders for my listeners. Because on today's show, we're, we're covering the detention centers, the ICE camps. We got that covered. But ah, we, haven't, we haven't talked about our prison population, and we haven't talked about the homeless. Yep. And we, yep. we need to marshal our resources as a podcast to get my listeners to be either citizen journalists or just citizens. And they... Until they pull the kill switch on the Internet, we can affect change. You're not working. You have time. Let's mobilize people to make the calls, to send the emails, to get our government more responsive to the needs of the least among us. Because right now, all they're worried about is calming the markets. Yeah, and that's and that's what's important. So, yeah. so when you come back Friday, let's discuss where the soft entry points are for the coronavirus and okay. what, and what we need to do. Uh, and the problem before you go is we're begging the, the wrong person for martial law. We're begging Donald yeah. Trump. This is like we're handing him the end of democracy on a silver platter. We're we're actually talking about suspending November's elections. So we we have hey. to fi- 
we're this is the wrong president. That's for sure. Yeah. Irritable immunologist, thank you for your time. Still pissed off, David. Still pissed off. I'm sorry? Look, look, I'm still pissed off, David, and I seem likely to remain so for the duration. Okay, and let me just say to my listeners, why can't you be like the irritable immunologist? Why can't you be like him? I just, I just <laughs> want to be an, I want to be an abusive father. So that's <laughs> clearly, to my listeners. Clearly. You, did, you didn't get enough practice? Yeah. <laughs> But I'm bummed. But I'm bummed. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't berate your your listeners for not being a research scientist with an obvious personality disorder, but I, I take your meaning. So, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Stay safe. Aye, aye. That's what I'm going to call you. Aye, aye. The irritable immunologist will be back Friday. Great job. Please welcome to these microphones from somewhere on the West Coast. I believe it's Malibu, although his house burned down last time we talked. <laughs> Please welcome. Why, why is the immunologist laughing? Because you're funny. You're naturally funny, Bert. Yes. Ha ha, funny. I'm always laughing. Anyway, who is, let me uh, is the name? let me get off the phone here. Okay, thank you. I I irritable immunologist. Oh, let me give you let me give you your theme song. Hang on. Ooh. Hang on. Let me give it to you again. <laughs> Ah, uh, yes. That's how, that does uh, sound like me. That's a crown that hey, I give. Hey, folks, Take it listen easy. to the CDC, listen to Dr. Bodie, keep yourself safe. Thank you. Thank all you. Right. Thank you. Talk for, to you in all seriousness, and, in all seriousness, we'll, we'll talk to you later when you play the role of Jackie the Joke Man Martling. Most definitely. My, <laughs> I mean, uh, cut that. <laughs> Cut that! Cut that! Cut that! Yeah. What, what did you say? I didn't hear what you said. Cut that! What, what did you say? <laughs> what did you say? Uh, oh, I, oh, I, I, oh, I get it! I get it! I get it! Okay, thank you, irritable. I deny responsibility. Okay, irritable. Thank you. All right, take care of yourself. Thank people. you. Bye bye. Bert Ross joins us. Are you there, Bert? That was a long second. That was a long second. Bert Ross joins us. He For is... me to be silent. I know. I know. Forget, I'm sorry, forget, Bert. I, 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 we're forgetting, I'm not interested, first of all, when you say an American hero. Yes. I don't know why you have to qualify it, but, but you could just say a hero so that I could be like a hero in Brazil, but it doesn't matter. All right. Forget all of that. I, 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 I've waited now for five minutes to hear the irritable immunologist. Yes. And now it's my turn. I want to be introduced as the humorist for the Malibu Times. Okay, I can I you did, talk for thirty? You have to talk for thirty seconds. Okay, I, I think I, I'm capable of doing. I talk for thirty I think seconds, President. I'm, I am. I don't have it. I'm. I'm by myself. I have to turn something off. So hang on for one second. All right. Should so I you, talk? You Should talk. Walk? You talk about anything you want. You. Why don't you introduce yourself while I go turn it off? Okay. That would be very nice. Okay. I'd be happy to do that. Okay. Uh, talk. Keep talking. Well, I, I am the humorist for the Malibu Times. I write a weekly blog slash column in print. It's a column and you can get it online by going to the Malibu Times and under opinion, there is a link for blogs and you'll see hundreds of my, uh, blog or column. Yes. And I don't get paid for that. So I don't care if you listen to it or not. Anyway, uh, I, I think that if Donald Trump can give himself a title, wartime 
president, then I can give myself a title humorous for the Malibu Times. Okay. Let me, let me, I don't know what you, here, here, let me be honest with the audience right now. I am making cabbage soup. That is what I'm doing. And I thought I had to turn it down, but I don't. I'm making cabbage soup. Cabbage is good for you. It's high in vitamin C and soup is always good for you. Psychologically, I don't know if it's good for you in terms of fighting off any virus. Let me introduce Bert Ross. Let me give you a proper cabbage, cabbage soup. Cabbage soup would not be good for my spirits at any time. Go ahead. Okay. Bert Ross, when I was growing up, my father ordered me first to... Excuse me. When you're Jewish, David. When you say your father, you're always supposed to say, may he rest in peace. Okay. Just trying to fill you in on uh, on the traditions. The man molested me, Bert. <laughs> Do you still think he should rest in peace? Uh, well, by the way, that explains everything. Okay. My father, who uh, who has passed away, but certainly lives on, uh, he's with me all the time. And uh, anyway, he told me uh, Ralph Nader was on the news and I was eating ice cream. And I said, who's this guy? And my father blew up. He goes, who's this guy? That's your hero. And I'm eating ice cream. I'm like, I don't know, eight. He said, well, if he's so great, how come I never heard of him? And he goes, that's your hero right there. Ralph Nader is your hero. And he bought me unsafe at any speed. Imagine an eight-year-old kid trying to read unsafe at any speed. And then a couple of years later, the mayor of Fort Lee named Bert Ross had to go into hiding because he turned in. Because I didn't pay my bills. Because <laughs> no, the mafia. I, I was trying to escape the creditors. Yeah, sure. The mafia offered him a bribe and he wore a wire and took I could have used that money now. I know. I told you. I, what a schmuck. I, well, I'm I reintroducing you. We have new listeners, Bert. So a lot of people, oh, for the past wait, 10 years. Wait, whoa, whoa. That's not a good sign. <laughs> That's, you, have good, you have that much turnover? <laughs> you mean if they were listening a year ago? I said I've had enough of this crap. <laughs> Bert oh, Ross okay. took on the mafia. He was the mayor of Fort Lee. Fort Lee is right over the George Washington Bridge, and there are no sales tax or very little sales tax in New Jersey. And the mafia said, hey, we have an idea. Why don't we build this mall where people from New York can come over the George Washington Bridge, pay pay no taxes? And they sat down and said to Bert, Here's 500 grand, make it happen. And you said, hang on, let me call the FBI. And he took the money and then turned it over to the FBI. And then the, the mafia tried to kill him. You are one of the bravest men I've ever met. And growing up, my father would be reading about you in the New York Times and in the Bergen Record. And he'd say, this is a man. Bert Ross, this is a man. So uh, a lot of my listeners have since... Uh, they may turned off, turned off the podcast. Wait, why didn't he say, 
this is your hero. He, he, he didn't say, he said that about NATO. He didn't say that about No, NATO. he said, this is your hero. This is oh, your hero. And then. Oh, another hero. Yeah. And, yes, David, and, I need to interrupt, David. I have to interrupt. Nobody, if I, I, these are tough times. Nobody cares if your guest turned down a bribe by the mafia a hundred years ago. If you say he's a humorist, somebody says, you know, we're in tough times. I could use a little humor. So it's like when I at night, I am a, I'm in solitary confinement plus one, meaning I'm with my wife. And that, I love her. She's beautiful, but I'm almost 77. And oh, I wish I were 20 again so I could take full advantage of the situation. I'm locked in there. That's a joke. Uh, but yes. uh, I obviously didn't deliver it right. No, no, so I, 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 I hope I, it goes I, better in my column. Okay. And so, that people when I turn on Netflix at night, I go to the comedians. I don't want I don't want to hear about the plague in nineteen eighteen. I'm not interested in the mafia and what they did and didn't do years ago. I, I'm turning on and saying, Am I gonna be able to smile today? Because my stock went down another two and a half or three percent. I'm getting clobbered, I lost my job, my wife's leaving me, my dog won't talk to me. You know? Okay. All right. Fair so, enough. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about what you've experienced in life and the advice that you could give people. Okay. Uh. Well. You 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 you. I, got, lost, you, I lost a lot of my. I, okay. I, I trying to answer your question. First of all, I have had a streak of not such good luck. First of all, I lost. <laughs> that, why don't we start how with can, what? Let's, how let's, can somebody, wait a minute. How can somebody? How can somebody laugh at another's misfortune? I I am known for two things: for turning down a half million dollar bribe, and for losing five million dollars with Bernie Madoff. And I would like a third bite at the apple because <laughs> that's not. So now, oh, after that, yeah. my house burns down in Malibu. <laughs> Oven, burnt to the ground, ashes, 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 and now, and now a pandemic. <laughs> and, and you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking this is almost Passover, and yeah. I feel like God doesn't deal in two or three plagues. He he likes the Dewey Decimal System. He goes for ten, <laughs> so I have like seven more plagues. <laughs> If I break, if I break out in boils, I'm throwing you in the towel. <laughs> well, but you know, you gotta laugh. These are bad times. Okay, you are yeah. a brilliant man. You're a lawyer. Is that correct? Is that a question? Are you Which a lawyer? Part of that is, are are you asking me if I'm brilliant, or or am I a lawyer? Are Which you a lawyer? Rich? Are you a lawyer? I passed the bar and never practiced law. Where did so, you go to law school? Uh, NYU. Did I you... was in Giuliani's class, or he was in my class. He, he, never met him. He doesn't have any class. I didn't know that. No, he certainly he he certainly does not. Uh, but actually, the only good thing about the impeachment and the 
uh, pandemic, because you have to look at the bright side, is that we, we haven't seen Giuliani for a couple of months. Yes. And that's, that's, that's good. That's you a know? good thing. Yes, I think it's a very good thing. And did you interview for NYU Law School? Did you do recommendations for people? No. Oh, you can't talk about that. And, and and I didn't. And what you're thinking of is Jared and Harvard, but that's all right. Oh, oh, Jared. was it you got Jared into Harvard? Is that correct? No, that's not correct. I interviewed him. I didn't get him into Harvard. So, by the I, way, I should mention you know, the irony. The irony of pe- people, most people probably don't know this. Um, Jared Kushner's father, Charles, in good the man. 1990s, good man, good man, was the major donor for Democrats. When Bill Clinton ran uh, for president in, and he, he came to New Jersey, he stayed at the, the Kushner home. And it was only later in life that he became a Republican and his son married Ivanka. Didn't Bibi Netanyahu stay at that house, too? Yes, I think that's absolutely true. Yes. Okay. So uh... maybe, I'm confusing, maybe I'm confusing my stories. That's okay. It was Netanyahu stayed there, but Clinton would go there. Yeah, and take take Charles Kushner's money. The Kushner money was major league. So, in order to get into Harvard, young Jared Kushner had a meet with Bert Ross, and Bert did the interview. Now, the question is: Did you go to Harvard? Did we lose you? We lost him. Just when I wrote a good question. Hang on for one second. Let's get Bert back. We're talking to Bert Ross. I we lost you. I have no idea how that happened, uh, but I'm not going to tell you anything as I've told you in the past about that interview because it's uh, it's like a priest. <laughs> it it uh, those interviews are private. I can just tell you. Wait, you, you took your clothes off with them. <laughs> That's funny. See, Chad, that when Man, you are in the midst it's easy. of a pandemic, I know it is, but that's what people need. Yeah, but you see, you went to that's Harvard. You went to Harvard, so you're not as bright as you think you were. And you think you understand comedy. This is the problem. You've lived many <laughs> lives. Obviously not, based, not, obviously not the way I told that joke about being a vote. Along with my wife. Yeah, that I mean, this is this is the problem. Yeah. You're part of the You're problem. You're a pro. You're a pro. I can't. I don't think I'm brilliant because actually, we we were about to go to our Harvard 55th reunion, and uh, I was going to give a TED talk uh, for about ten minutes, and the subject was uh, the dumbest person who ever went to Harvard, <laughs> and I. <laughs> Well, I had I had entertained the troops at the 50th reunion, and I started off by saying that uh, before I went to Harvard, I had never met anybody who went to Harvard who wasn't brighter than I. And I was going to open the, my talk at the 55th reunion by saying that I had only told you uh, half a truth, but not the whole truth. And the whole truth is that since I graduated Harvard, I haven't met anybody who wasn't brighter than I am. And I have a, I, I prove it. I prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But it's been canceled, postponed, I guess. Good. They should postpone Harvard. They should postpone and break up Harvard. Break, break it up. Break it up. 
break it up and and what would the purpose of that be? Disperse it into 100 community colleges throughout America. Break up all of Harvard and just spread it out across this great land of ours because it's too much concentrated wealth and power in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And they well, are I just... think the wealth, I think the wealth um, is probably not as true today as it was. There's no question that the endowment is enormous, but the, the student body, even when I went there, was a tremendous number of students on partial or full scholarship. And today, I think that figure is probably well over 50%. So what the endowment does is it allows people um, from minority groups, uh, uh, people who have come to this country recently, uh, to go there. Yeah, here, they, that, you know. that's partly true. Two things have... What pulled, part is not true? The fact that Harvard doesn't gravitate towards wealthy students. They, uh, the Varsity Blues scandal, as well as the lawsuit... Uh, there was a conservative who sued Harvard's admissions for an Asian ap applicant, and they kind of pulled back who gets into Harvard. And we've discovered that, yes, they they do take people, a lot of scholarship students, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, children from, uh, let's say, Upper middle class families, no longer the, the waspy aristocracy getting into Harvard. But if you're a graduate of Harvard, your children get special, there's special places for the children of well, Harvard. My graduate. daughter, my daughter, my daughter. Uh, if you're a professor, but, you get your kids in. They, they that, those kind of things. So. Well, but that's not, but that has nothing. That has nothing to do with wealth per se. My name isn't um, per se. It's David. Stop calling me per okay. se. Per se. Um, Go ahead. That reminds me, the president, the president of Harvard, when I went there, was not per se, but Pusey. And I, when Kennedy got assassinated, uh, somebody raced up to me and said they killed the president. They killed the president. And I said, why would anybody try to kill Pusey? And the guy looked at me and said, not Pusey, Kennedy. <laughs> That, that's how that's how solipsistic Harvard people are. They think when you say president, you're thinking Larry Summers or whomever. How's the Harvard endowment doing, by the way? All the geniuses. Over oh, I would imagine I would imagine that uh, that every endowment. But generally speaking, generally speaking, not, how's the Harvard endowment? I don't even know what the when you say generally. If you're talking about recently, I'm sure sure it's cleaning. Yeah, but I'm talking about like a year ago. Does the does the Harvard? I'm the, sure a year. I, I assume I I really have nothing to do with the endowment. But I want to get back. To, no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. Hang on for one second. Hang on, hang on. No, you hang say on. things. You say things, and you need to be challenged. The fact that a professor's kid, and by the way, if you if you're a professor at Harvard, the odds are that you are a genius. Because I mean, Harvard those, says you those, are. Because Harvard says no, you are. No. I know some of them. They are beyond experts in their field. Some of the some of the Nobel Prize winners and some of the the top top experts in their field are professors at Harvard. And it wouldn't be surprising if they had children who were more than capable of doing the work there. 
uh, and most organizations give some preference to uh, children from from other ranks. I don't. I don't. Find what about that, Jeffrey uh, Epstein's kids? He he seemed to have, have no, agency yeah. at Harvard. He had offices at Harvard. Was he able to get his kids into Harvard? He didn't I graduate from Harvard. He didn't even graduate from college. But he. I'm sure Alan Dershowitz must have written a letter of recommendation for one of Jeffrey Epstein's children. And by children, I mean sex slaves. Uh, yes. I, uh, Alan Dershowitz, I, brilliant. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, brilliant man, right? Uh, somebody can be brilliant and be obnoxious and arrogant and, um, and unlikable. Uh, I don't think somebody would question that he has a good mind. I said, I don't like the way he's used it. Okay. So that's a, that, that's a different animal. The question is, can he teach uh, a law class? Um, probably yes. Would the world be I'm, better I'm a, off? I'm not a fan. Would the I'm world be, would the world be better off without Harvard? And the answer is yes. I, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. It, uh, name one I, good well, thing think, that has I come out of Harvard. Name one good well, thing that came out of, and don't say the Simpsons. Okay, first, don't say the Simpsons because the Simpsons was created that? by Matt Groening and, and James Brooks and Harvard had nothing to do with it. Pe Harvard just creates people who follow the rules. David, you don't listen. You ask a question and then you answer your own question. It's, it's, uh, it's an amazing capacity. Bill Gates. Bill Gates stole MS DOS. He bought MS DOS. Mark Zuckerberg stole Facebook, granted from another Harvard student, the twins, but still. Bill Gates, by the way, is my is my hero. Bill Gates, if you listen on YouTube to his TED Talk in 2015, and it's extraordinary. Let me see. Yeah, I have it here. This is unbelievable. The this man is, is a is predatory capitalist. The Justice Department 20 years ago was trying to break up Microsoft. He he's like, he was like John D. Rockefeller with better you lawyers. Your mind and, you need to open your mind and learn. I'm going to quote two paragraphs from his opening statement in a TED Talk in 2015. When I was a kid, the disaster we worried about most was a nuclear war. That's why we had a barrel like this down in our basement filled with cans of food and water. When the nuclear attack came, we were supposed to go downstairs, hunker down, and eat out of that barrel. Today, this is 2015, the greatest risk of global catastrophe doesn't look like this. Instead, it looks like this. If anything kills over 10 million people in the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus rather than a war. Not missiles, but microbes. Now, part of the reason for this is that we've invested a huge amount in nuclear deterrent, but we've actually invested very little in a system to stop an epidemic. We're not ready for the next epidemic. Okay. I had, no, let me, let me go on. When I was seven years old, I had polio. Is I it, spent five years. Well, this is you talking, not Bill Gates. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm done quoting Bill Gates. Okay. I want it, but this is about Bill Gates. In 1950, when I was seven years old, I had polio and spent the worst part of my life, five months, in the Sister Kenny Institute in Jersey City. Uh, Bill Gates and his wife, Melinda, have done far more than 
anybody else or any group to eradicate polio in our lifetime. If they did nothing else, they should be glorified for that. So if he stole something when he was a kid, I don't give a rat's ass. That man is a genius, and he is fabulous. As far as I'm concerned, I'd vote for him for president in New York. Okay. But and this is not the humor. This is not no, the no, humor. No, no, let, let me push cool. back there. The, the great Burt Ross. Okay. You're my hero, my childhood hero. Mm-hmm. Here, here is, I have two childhood heroes that, that were left to me by I'm my Nader father. Burt Ross. Yeah. Yeah. My father left to me mm-hmm. two heroes. Okay? Mm-hmm. Ralph Nader Correct. and Burt Ross. Okay? Mm-hmm. Here is something I've never said to Ralph Nader. Bullshit. Bullshit. There. Okay, so you're talking about Bill Gates did not do a great deal to eradicate polio. That's bullshit. Here's here is the mistake you're making. Can you answer a question without making a speech? Uh, Has he and his wife done more to eradicate polio in the world, including in places of extraordinary poverty? Has anybody done more than he and his wife? Okay. That's the question. Yes or no. Don't make it complicated. I would suggest, I would suggest that he has created, and I'm being serious here. Polio. He's created polio. I would say he has hindered our ability to fight the spread of COVID-19 because of the following. So can I say this now without... but you never answered. You never answered the question that I asked. You said that's one of your tactics. You ask the question, and rather than answering it, you say bullshit, and then you ask the question. You're claiming you question you're claiming that Bill Gates has wiped out polio. There are, I think, in the world, something like twenty cases left. Well, actually, a, a, few, it, a handful in a handful. Listen, you may learn something. A, half, a handful in Pakistan and a handful in Nigeria. Right. And they are trying to wipe it out there. Okay. And it's also making a comeback, polio. That That's news to me. Yeah. And there are also cases. But of, not because of Bill Gates. But not because of Bill Gates. Well, yes, it is because of Bill Gates. It okay. is because okay. of Bill Gates. And, and there are now cases of polio in the United States. There are even cases of bubonic plague in the United States. Okay. And here is why Bill Gates, Burt Ross, is... Blue is, bonnet plague? Yeah. That was yeah. a margarine. That's blue bonnet. That's what I said. No, I said blue plague. bonnet. Do you know why it's called blue bonnet? margarine. Do you know why it's blue, called blue bonnet? margarine. Do you know blue the origin of the word blue bonnet? Would you like to learn something, now you're, now Mr. You're Harvard? It, now you're calling it... Now you're calling it blue bonnet. That's right. That's right. Would you like it an etymology lesson? It affected it affected the breath. No, no, no. Okay. The original bubonic plague created mm-hmm. growths on people's bodies. And in Old English, if you look up the word bubonic, it can be traced to boob, which was a protrusion on the body. So the bubonic plague is characterized by what were called boobs. You know what's great? Hang on for one when, second. When I'm thinking, when I am thinking, which I never do, about old English, I think of David Feldman. Yes. 
And, yes. and so a protrusion on the body mm. in mm. Old English is a boob. And mm. so from that, we also get boobs, as in what you so are, you a Mickey's boob. A boob. You're you a, boob. a boob. When you say Mickey's a boob, you're talking about Mickey's protrusion. What I'm, I, sa- I like what I'm saying to you, with all due respect, Bert Ross, who is my hero, I have no choice. Who is or was? Who I'm, I'm or was? stuck with you. You're my hero. I have no uh, choice. Okay. I'm going to get a call uh, from my mother who listens to this show, and she's going to say, how dare you talk to Bert Ross this way? If your father Mrs. were alive. Mrs. Mrs. Feldman, I'm with you. It's a shonda. <laughs> it's an absolute shonda. And, and it is, uh, in this day approaching Pesach, what he is doing to somebody whom your husband respected, the son. Idolized. Uh, Ashanda. Idolized. Ashanda. My father idolized you. So, mm. okay. So. The, the problem with Bill Gates is the following. Yes. Microsoft does not pay its fair share of taxes. Microsoft has to repatriate, repatriate money that it owes the United States government. Bill Gates does not believe in a strong federal government, okay? Bill Gates, instead of paying taxes, set up the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and he unilaterally decided that he was going to spend his fortune the way he saw fit, with no transparency, and he decided he was going to save the world. So instead of paying his taxes and allowing the CDC and the World Health Organization, which he works with, I know, and the FDA, instead of being a good American citizen and paying his fair share of taxes, he decided he was smarter than democracy. He doesn't believe in democracy. He doesn't believe Washington can spend that money better than he can. He doesn't believe in government. He believes in in heroes like Bill ba- Bill Gates saying, I know what's best. Well, guess what? He warned of a global pandemic. Good for him. And boy, he's the first one to see that. There haven't been any movies. Michael Crichton never wrote a book called The Andromeda Strain. They've never, ever warned us about a global pandemic because there's never been a global pandemic before for us to to know about. He's the the wise sage. He's Cassandra who warned us about a pandemic. Well, who's equipped to fight the pandemic? Is it the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or the United States government? It's the United States government that has to take on this pandemic. And he denuded it of its strength by by pushing this false theology of of free markets, laissez-faire capitalism. So, no, he's responsible for this. From the old English to Greek mythology of Cassandra to denuded, I am so impressed. But there's only one problem with your argument. I would rather have Bill Gates spend the money than Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. So, so much for the democracy, and that's what we got. No, it didn't. I'm voting for Bernie. How about Bernie Sanders? 
Bernie Sanders is too young for the job. No. <laughs> <laughs> too young for the job. Okay. Um, well, and let's talk about your polio because you were you had you contracted polio. Sabin and Salk came up with a mm -hmm. the cure for polio. And you're going to criticize them now? Well, they hated each other, by the way. That's not the point. Did you know that? Okay, here's the point I'm making. FDR. They didn't pay enough taxes. They didn't pay enough taxes. They donated, by the way, they donated the royalties from the vaccine. They, they, never, they, don't, they didn't get a penny from it. Well, they are my heroes. Yeah. FDR is the one, March of Dimes, the federal government yeah. working and yeah. funding, the federal government working and funding a cure for polio. The federal government gave us the cure for polio. It wasn't the free market. It wasn't the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It wasn't John D. Rockefeller. It wasn't the Ford Foundation that cured polio. It so was, basically what you're saying is that, is that most of the charitable foundations really uh, should give their money to the federal government so they can buy bombs and, and, and bomb Yemen. Good, good thought. Okay. Better government. We need better government. Yeah, really. Well, in the meantime, since that doesn't seem to be happening. That's because of Harvard. Where, that's because of people who graduate no, no, from it's, Harvard it's because, and push. It's because it's, oh, that's ridiculous. We, John Adams went to Harvard. The guy you just idolized, FDR, went to Harvard. Well, first of all, Eddie John Rosen Adams gave us the Harvard. Alien and Sedition Act. He was a fascist, John Adams. You John. know, you can take almost everybody except for yourself and find in, in esteemed careers that they did something that they shouldn't have done. Including FDR with the with the camps, and I just visited right near Death Valley. There is a museum where there was a Japanese internment camp. Just one of the 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 worst things done under his administration, and yet he was a great president and did many many things that he should be praised for. Life is complicated. There are two sides to a coin, but our system. Our dem democracy is suffering because we have an electoral system where California with 40 million people has two senators and North Dakota and South Dakota have four. We have a Senate today which is filling the appellate benches with conservatives who do not represent the majority of this country, and yet the Senate which represents 40 million people fewer than the, than the liberal senators controls the Senate again, because of the elect, because of the system that was created. And we, and it is almost impossible to amend that system. That's our problem. Not, not that, that, uh, very, uh, generous, wealthy people, uh, are giving their money the way they want. We should have a tax. Look, if you want to talk about how somebody achieves that massive wealth, I, I agree with Bill Gates. I, I agree with Warren Buffett. It's ridiculous for him to be paying 17% tax and his secretary 25. Completely agree with that. You were the mayor of Fort but, Lee. Is that correct? 
Why do you ask questions that you know the answers to? I want to make sure you know the answer. You ask questions that you know the answer to. That's what I learned in law school. Didn't you? The first rule in law school is never ask a question you don't know the answer to. I did not go to law school. I am not a lawyer, but my last name is Feldman, and I pay many prices for having the I'm being serious. I pay many prices for having a last name Feldman. One of them is people assume if I take a certain tone that I'm a lawyer, and that sometimes helps me and sometimes hurts me. Sometimes people may not want to rent to me for fear that I'm litigious, but I can intimidate Idiots, when they hear the name Feldman, they automatically assume that I could be a high-powered attorney. It's a mixed bag, having a last name Feldman. To whom much power is given, much is expected. That's what Mm. my father said when he bequeathed me the name Feldman. He said, much power comes with us. And and you have your foot of that away. (laughs) You're still my hero. You're still my hero. Well... You're still I, my I, hero. Do you believe in democracy? Do you, as the former mayor of Fort Lee, New Jersey, do you believe that the only thing that can save this great country is democracy? <sighs> ah, that you have to think I, about that. That you, I, an officer I, of the court, are you or are you not a lawyer? That an officer of the court should pause and consider whether or not democracy should be the the foremost concern of American citizens, that you have to think about that. Well, the problem the problem is how you define democracy. We, if we got the money out of politics, then a democracy could work the way it was intended. But we don't have that. Because people from Harvard have created an elite upper strata of technocrats who have pushed citizens away from their Where democracy. Where did you go to college? I went to the school of hard knocks. Princeton. So you, no, you, did you go to Princeton? <laughs> that would be... That would be very funny. <laughs> the school of hard did you go to I, college at all? I went to college. Of course I did. Where? I don't think it matters where I went to college. What does that mean? So you Excuse can me. pigeonhole me so you, you can Huh? You which is what you've just done for half an hour? That yeah. you would pigeonhole you me? Where you went? Are you ashamed of where you Yes, went to I college? am. Yes. I am. I'd rather not and talk is about that... it. <laughs> I didn't change did my last name, Bert Ross. Did you graduate? Yes, I did. I changed my last name. I know you didn't, but I've revealed enough about me by having the last name Feldman. I don't have to talk about where I went to college. It's irrelevant. It's immaterial. Were you arrested? Were you were you uh, were you left back a year or two? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't a good student. It's immaterial where I went to school. And you could have been. You're a bright guy. But you don't listen much. You come with very well-formed opinions about things sometimes you don't know that much about. And so that restricts what you can learn. You know, there's a, there's a move 
with Harvard people where they, they kind of, they, they kind of commandeer the conversation, steer it towards what they <laughs> think is their expertise. And they, they take on this tone, like, I'm going to teach you something that you don't know. And then they just, it always reverts back to something that they learned at Harvard. And I'm supposed to go, Oh, you're smart. Here's all my money. Here's my vote. Here's my security. Here's my democracy. Cause you're smarter than I am. What people from Harvard learn to do is intimidate ordinary Americans. You are, you, you, well, that's people's problem. Uh, just as if somebody thinks because you're Feldman, you could be a, a lawyer that somebody who went to Harvard is necessarily brilliant. You, it is an extraordinarily diverse population. So you have everybody from, uh, Tommy Lee Jones to Yo-Yo Ma to Jack Lemon, uh, to, uh, what's that guy, uh, tall guy, uh, comedian, red hair. Conan? Uh, yes, Conan O'Brien, and on and on. Um, there are a lot of people who went to Harvard who are, look, the, the Unabomber went to Harvard. There Theodore are Kaczynski. Who, Theodore Kaczynski yeah. went to Harvard, yeah. There are people who, uh, commit crimes who went to Harvard. There are people who, uh, go into the clergy. There are people who work with the poor. I, uh, Harvard had a program called Phillips Brooks House. And for two years, I taught, I volunteered, uh, in, in two different, uh, uh, pr prisons, uh, in, in Massachusetts. And it was a wonderful service. Uh, they, they have volunteers doing all kinds of work. Yeah, but you I were teaching you birth were... control in prisons, Bert. What, I mean, Bert, yeah. if you knew more about Harvard, I think you would come off your soapbox a bit. I really do. I'm not saying that there isn't, there is a, uh, a kernel of truth in what you're saying, but you, you magnify it so out of proportion. They were, they were one of the few academic institutions that stood up to Joe McCarthy. Uh, I, they yeah. were, they, they have been very, very major league in, uh, the diversity of opinion. I just uh, saw a documentary about, I just saw the documentary about McCarthy on PBS and there was actually a Harvard professor who lost his job because of Joe McCarthy. Let, let me recommend encyclical deuterium by uh, Pope Leo. And he issued it in June of 1881, Leo XII. And I, and I recommend that you read Pope Leo's encyclical about the concentration of power and how he talks about what St. Augustine taught mm. the Catholic Church and that any time power is concentrated or money is concentrated in the hands of the few, you must break it up. And, and so I, I, I recommend well, you read. Well, that, actually, I read that, and, and what Pope Leo said is, is down with Harvard. That was how he led. Well, you, he, you, he you led know, okay, uh, you, you said down. You, I read. I don't think the Harvard, the Harvard that I went to, and the, and even truer today, uh, the Harvard of today, uh, is not simply a gathering of the wealthy. You, I know waiters who have kids who are going to Harvard. You you don't know how many kids are there 
with scholarship. They and that's not just true of Harvard, but Harvard does it big time. And I think you're just generalizing. I think there's no question that if you go back to when John Kennedy went to Harvard, yes, it was a gentleman's club. It was exclusive. Hello. Was. Yeah. You're you're you're, right? you're breaking up, and I want to break up well, power. And we're breaking up this call. <laughs> I, let, let me let let me pull. Let me do a Harvard move, okay? Mm-hmm. Let me bring up something that I read and you didn't. Therefore, you should give me all your money and uh, power of attorney because I know something you don't. And you know that's what Harvard people do. I read something you didn't read, so I'm putting you in your place. You're less than I am because. I know something that you don't, and it has the Harvard imprimatur on it. So, but although you went to Harvard, but let me recommend Pope Leo the Thirteenth's encyclical on the origin of civil power. I read it in the original Yiddish, and yeah. I read it. So therefore, I know something. Read Pope Leo's encyclical. On the origin of is he related? Is he related to Leo de Rocha? <laughs> he used to walk into the Vatican and say, "Can anybody play this game?" Uh, exactly. All right. Anytime now, there is a able, concentration you, of power, it should be broken up, Bert Ross. I agree. I agree. Unless I have the I have the power. If I have the power, I'm totally against that. But here's a more important question. Are you able to turn this off for a minute? No. Hang on for one second. Anytime there's a concentration of power, the the Justice Department, the antitrust division of the Justice Department should break up big Harvard. The way they should have broken up Microsoft. I want to take a pause. Because I'm going to the men's room. We got to wrap it up anyway. We come back next week to continue this. I don't know. I, let me know then. Bert you know, Ross, how do people how do people read your column for the Malibu Times? They go to the the website Malibu Times. They go under opinion. There is a category called blogs, and they push it, and there'll be hundreds of my columns. Okay, stay on the line, Bert Ross. <laughs> 